Hey, this is Matt Stacy, youth pastor at New Life, and this is our podcast. I hope that the preaching and teaching you listen to here encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with God. This podcast is a ministry of New Life, and as such, is completely free to the listener. That being said, if you feel led to give to this ministry, we want to make that available to you. You can text GIVE to 833-793-0451. You can also give online through the Tithely app by searching New Life Tabernacle. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the message. It's good to be in the house of the Lord on Wednesday night. We are in our 13th, I believe, lesson of the book of Revelation. Moving right along. Starting tonight is when, for some folks, the book of Revelation is going to start getting interesting. Amen. So, let's pray about this and then we're going to dive right into the word of the Lord tonight. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity in your house. God, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful for another opportunity to stand, to open your word, to study your word, to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would make my heart good ground tonight. Make our hearts good ground for your word to fall on. Lord, help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Open up our understanding tonight. Help us to receive the word with faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We have just finished John's incredible, awe-inspiring, wonderful vision of heaven. You get chapters 4 or 5 of Revelation, and we know that John sees the vision of heaven and what's going on in heaven. I believe that is symbolic. Revelation 4 and 5 is when the church is raptured away out of this earth. Just a recap of what we went over in Revelation 4 and 5. We know that John sees a door. He's put through the door and he enters a throne room. What does he see when he gets in the throne room? He sees one sitting on the throne. And then he takes a wider scan, if you will, of the throne room. And what does he see but 24 elders? And we we learned, we studied the 24 elders, we believe, represents the church, the, the raptured church in heaven. They're, that is representative of believers uh, from Pentecost until now. And there's those 24 elders, John sees them sitting on 24 thrones wearing, uh, the Greek word is Stephanos. It's a victor's crown. And the vision that he sees is he sees the 24 elders sitting on 24 thrones wearing the victor's crown. It's a representation of the victorious life. They were victorious in their faith for Christ, in their walk, in their race, uh, they were faithful. And then we see one of the most magnificent things that anyone could ever see, and I, I hope one day to be there 
That's the hope of the church whenever this happens. But John experiences something so awe-inspiring, so amazing. John sees these 24 elders as the four living ones, those creatures are crying, holy, holy, holy. Something gets a hold of the 24 elders and they stand off of their thrones and they fall on their faces, relinquishing, if you will, those thrones. And they take off the crown from their head and they throw it at the feet of Jesus. Just awe-inspiring, a, a moment uh, that it's hard to even put into words. And I know John was feeling that same way. And then he witnesses the, as John put it, the strong angel that cries, is there anyone worthy to open up the book? And then he notices the book that is sitting beside the one on the throne. And John says that no one can open the book. There's no one worthy. And then John, we know, um, falls down just crippled with grief because it's as if the revelation has hit him that all of the wrong in the world from the beginning until now is going to continue forever and it'll never be made right. So he's stricken with grief. And an elder grabs him, one of the 24, and says, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're getting ahead of what is necessary. Stop crying. He says, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah is able. He's worthy. He can open the book. And so John wipes away the tears from his eyes. He looks up, looking for the lion, and what does he find? He finds a lamb. And not just any lamb, he finds the slain lamb, which we talked about is freshly slaughtered. He's got the fresh wounds of being slaughtered, but he's not dead. He's standing, the slain lamb standing. And we see the lamb walk to the book He's the only one in the universe. The search went out everywhere. He's the only one worthy to open up this book. What is this book? We talked about the book. It's sealed with seven seals. And the only document in that day that was sealed with seven seals is a title deed or a will. Um, and so we see this as a title deed, if you will, of creation of the earth. And... Why do we think it's the title deed? We think it's the title deed because of what's getting ready to follow. We find that as he opens up this book, it has devastating effects on the earth. And it is, it is, uh, I think devastating is a good word for everyone that's still on earth. So all of this leads us Jesus, the lamb comes and grabs the title deed and that leads us to what we find in chapter 6, which is the beginning of the end of the age. This is, this is when it all starts falling apart on earth for the people that are still on earth. And as I said previously, I believe with everything in me that if you witness anything from chapter 6 to chapter 18, Jesus comes back in chapter 19, 6 through 18, if you witness anything that happens, you've been left behind. You don't want to be here when all of this takes place. But we're still going to study and look at what takes place. And we're going to see that there are going to be people that are saved through this tribulation 
But as the old timers would say, if you can't live for God now, what makes you think you can live for God then? You want to catch the first trip out. You don't want to get stuck on the earth whenever all of this begins to break loose. Beginning of the end of the age. Jesus is receiving his inheritance. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is heir of all things. And so here he is receiving his inheritance, the earth. And how is he receiving it? He's going to receive it by means of judgment. He is going to make everything that has gone wrong right again. As we begin to read this, it's going to get interesting. And no doubt there will be people that will attack. How can a good God do all this? There are answers for that. The scene of chapter 6 is no longer heaven, but we see what's going on down on earth. The church gets raptured away, and then people are left on earth And Jesus is going to begin to open up these seals and uh, let loose judgment, if you will, on the earth. It's interesting how this all comes about. Now, the world is trying its best to climb out of the wars and the chaos, and we think that we're getting better and better, but actually the world is getting worse and worse. And it's constantly getting worse and worse. And that's the progression. The farther we go along, the farther into sin we get. And I think I I mentioned it last week, but that's what happened in Genesis when the Lord sent the flood. They finally reached that point to where God could no longer look away. And I know that there are those, and I believe it too, and and we talk about a great end-time revival and a great end-time harvest. And I do believe that there are going to be souls saved in this great end time that's going to happen. But I want to say this. It is far more likely that there's going to be a great falling away right before this time. Why? Because the world has got to get to a certain place of evil. And then the Lord is going to come back. Some have said that maybe God is waiting for just one more soul to get right before he comes back. And just a pure mathematical thinking about that situation, that doesn't make sense. Because for everyone that's getting saved, there's hundreds that are being born that are, that are being lost. So mathematically, it just make it, doesn't make sense. So what's God waiting for? He's waiting for, uh, just like it said in the book of Exodus, they couldn't take out the Amalekites. Why? Because the wickedness was not full yet. They hadn't reached that time, that season. The sin of that people hadn't reached the point where God could no longer look away. And I think that that's what the Lord is waiting on. And so, as the church gets pulled away, we look down on earth. That moment has finally come. We're in chapter 6 here. Verse number 1, John begins, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw and beheld a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So here we are, the church is in heaven. Jesus grabs the book 
and he opens the first seal and unlike an ordinary book where you would read the words on the page instead this is one of those kind of like picture books the picture is seen uh, of what is happening and so the first thing he sees the angel says come and look and he comes and he looks and we see a rider on a white horse heading for the earth now Many people look at this and they say, well, that's obviously Jesus. He's wearing a crown. He's coming to conquer. Um, he's riding on a white horse. They point to Revelation 19 and they say, Jesus, when he comes back, he's riding on a white horse. So this has got to be Jesus. I would argue that that is not the case. The reason for it is pretty simple. In this chapter, the crown that this rider is wearing is Stephanos, which we've talked about as a victor's crown. In chapter 19, Jesus comes back wearing a diadem. It's a crown of royalty. It's a crown that shows he's a king. There's a difference there. This rider comes carrying a bow, no mention of any arrows. Jesus, when he comes back in chapter 19 riding a white horse, it says that he's coming back carrying a sword, not a bow. So I don't think that this is Jesus here. And if you, we're going to get to it in a minute. And if you get to the fourth horseman, the, John says that that fourth horseman represents death. And so if the one is symbolically representative of something, I think the rest of them are as well. So I wouldn't even call this the Antichrist. I would call this um, representing a false peace that's going to come on the world. Now think about it. Our world, again, wars, rumors and wars. What's going on in Afghanistan right now is an absolute tragedy. And things like this are going to continue. And it's going to get worse and we're going to see these things happen. I, I like to mention when I'm talking to people about end times and their ideas, how the Christians felt who lived through World War I and World War II. You would have thought Jesus was coming back then. Because the whole world was at war and things were breaking loose. And I think we're going to see things like that happen again. I think we almost have to because it's going to get progressively worse. The rapture takes place and then left on the earth are people that are hungry for peace. And they are hungry for somebody to come along to give them clear leadership and direction. And what's interesting about this, he's going to do it. It says that he's got a bow, but he doesn't have arrows. He's going to come along and, he, and, he, and he's seeking to conquer, but obviously he's going to conquer and he's going to do it without fighting. He's going to do it without blood. How does he conquer? I think he's going to conquer by promising peace to these people. He's going to, he's going to conquer without a fight by, because people are going to be clamoring for peace and safety. And actually, sincerely, I think they're going to believe that the world is ripe for it. Why? Because false ideologies, I believe at this time, will have conquered the globe. And I think that humanity will be at the place where they believe utopia is just right around the corner. And we've been to this place once before in our history, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but... I just want to mention some of the satanic ideologies that are at work today even, but have been at work in the past. 
and have um, kind of fostered this whole idea that, that the human is basically a god in and of himself. You've got communism, socialism, evolution. The new kid on the block is critical racism theory. I said that right. I heard a someone the other day on the radio call it that. It's critical race theory. He called it critical racism theory, which is what it really is. And we need to fight that as often as we see it. Humanism, self-sufficiency. If you go to any bookstore, one of the most packed areas is the self-help area. And I don't think that all self-help books are wrong or bad. I think that some can be very helpful for you. But the ones that aren't helpful are the ones that tell you to look within and, and try to figure it out yourself. Find your true self and work it all out. Those are the books that you need to stay away from. That's self-sufficiency. And then one of the big ones that we see at work right now that's been at work for a long time is globalism. This push towards a one world government. It's at work in our world right now. It's been at our, at work in our world for over a hundred years now where the world is clamoring for leadership and to get together as one world and to try to create that utopia. So I think all of these ideologies are at work right now in our world. And I think that at the time that this is taking place, I think it's going to be right for someone to step on the scene and kind of combine all of these ideologies and say, I've got all the answers. And it's a false piece that the world is going to get with this rider on this white horse. The interesting thing is don't let anyone tell you that the church really doesn't do any good on the world, in the world, and that we ought to keep our eyes closed and put our hands, heads in the sand. I really believe that it's the Holy Ghost in us, in the church, that is the restrainer of the spirit of the Antichrist before it's time. We, what we are doing as a body of believers matters. This is why it's important that you're not just doing your own thing by yourself, but that we're gathering together as a community and we're making a difference and we're trying to pull people out of the false ideologies of the world and, and get them born again. The church makes a difference. I could spend hours telling you just historical data pure facts of the effect of Christianity in a positive way on our world. One thing after another. In fact, the only reason, see America right now is at a tipping point and it seems like every day that goes by we get closer to falling off the edge. But I want you to know, they may attack Christianity, they may mock us, make fun of us, but the only reason America is still America, the only reason this country still exists is because of the church inside of this country. It's Christianity at work. That's the only reason Western civilization has survived as long as it has survived. So think about that. Thessalonians calls us the restrainer of the wicked one or the evil one. So there is a force at work. And it's at work in every generation. I believe, I'll put it like this. I, I believe that the devil doesn't know when the end is. So in every generation, he's preparing a man to take over. He's preparing an antichrist. 
We don't know. He could. I believe that there is there is the spirit of the Antichrist at work in the world today. And when the church is raptured away, he's going to have that person that he's designated is going to step up on the scene. But he's got someone designated in every generation just in case that's the generation that the Lord comes back. And that's why we have powerful figures all throughout history that commit awful atrocities. It's because they've got the spirit of the Antichrist working. And the church is fighting against that spirit in every generation, pushing it back. Brother Barnes said that he believed that America was risen up to help the church in America, to help keep the Antichrist at bay, the spirit of the Antichrist, before its time. So we look at World War II and World War I. Without American intervention in those wars, uh, humanity, free humanity would have fallen. There's no question. If you study history accurately, that's the truth. I think the Lord used America. So the point that I'm trying to make is there has always been that force at work in the world, pushing and trying to take over that spirit of the Antichrist. And always as it's fighting against the, the, the church and it's fighting against good, the church is here making a stand and keeping it at bay, pushing back against the darkness, fighting back against the, the spirit of the age, the spirit of the world. And then here in chapter 6, what happens? The church gets raptured away. The church gets taken out of the equation. That thing that God placed on the earth to fight against the spirit of the Antichrist, God pulls out of the world. And so now you've got a world that's got all of these ideologies at work. Who's fought off communism? Christianity has. Who's fought off socialism? Christianity has. Evolutionary theory. It's a theory literally designed to attack our belief in a God that created everything. All of these issues, critical race theory, that theory is literally satanic. It's demonic. It's of the devil. It causes us to want to fight against each other and it divides us based on our race. It's not the will of God. We are all created in the image of God. Black, white, brown, doesn't matter the color. We're created in the image of God. Amen. So we're fighting against those forces constantly throughout history. Humanism. The idea that man is a God in and of himself. We're fighting against that. Globalism. We're pushing back against it. And then all of a sudden, God takes the church out of the world. All of these ideologies still exist. All of these ideologies are still in the world and they're working, but the church is no longer here to keep them at bay. And so a man comes along, spirit of the Antichrist working, Jesus opens up this seal, sends forth this white rider, this false, this bearer of false peace upon the world. And the world really believes that they have conquered the church is out of the way. The world really believes we have reached the pinnacle of humanity. It's time for a utopia. All of our problems are going to be fixed. It's interesting. I wanted to bring this up because history, if we'll, if we'll be smart about it and we'll look at it and read it, it reveals a lot of things. Hitler is a lot like this man on this white horse. Did you know that his, Hitler was considered uh, a, a man of the year during, uh, I think it was 1935? 
If you were alive and you were not a Christian during that time, you might have gotten caught up. Now, everybody in 2021 thinks Hitler is evil and rightfully so, because he is. He was very evil man. But if you were alive then, you might have gotten caught up in the fervor of thinking that Hitler was the man of the future. And he had these ideas that were revolutionary and you want to get behind him or maybe even the Soviet Union. And Neville Chamberlain, he was one of those that really believed that Hitler was a reasonable man. And so he went to Hitler and he said, let's negotiate peace. And so he sits down with Hitler, he gets Hitler to sign a peace treaty, he comes back, tells everybody, and he declares those now infamous words, peace in our time. Proud of himself. He got Hitler to sign a peace treaty. The problem is, is liars don't abide by peace treaties. And Hitler turned around and he broke that treaty. And it was, it was actually Churchill was hated at that time, Winston Churchill, because Churchill spoke up and said that piece of paper that you have doesn't mean anything. That's not an honorable man that you just had a discussion with. And not only that, but he's at the doorstep ready to conquer us, and you're trying to sign peace treaties with him. That's just a, that's just a window, if you will. That happened in the past, but that's a window into what we're going to see in the future. The Antichrist coming in, convincing people that he's going to bring in peace. Shortly after this happens... Peace doesn't last very long. Shortly after this happens, the Lord is going to open up another seal. Second seal, verse number three. And when he had opened up the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. So shortly after peace on the earth comes through this white rider, this spirit of peace that kind of takes over, the Lord releases the next seal, and it's a rider on a blood-red horse. And he's bringing war and savagery like the world has never seen before, never witnessed in the history of all the world. You say, well, World War II and World War I were extremely bad. I promise it will not be, it won't even be close to what they're going to experience. And I say they because I believe I'm going to be in heaven with the Lord. And those that are on earth, this judgment that's going to be let loose is a very scary thing. Worldwide conflict that's going to take over. It's not going to be safe to walk the streets in the daytime. It's not going to be safe in your home or in your town or in your city. States are going to rise up against states. Friends are going to rise up against friends. Uh, nations against nations. It's going to be war and chaos on a scale we've never witnessed before. And that's all going to come with this rider, this, this second horseman, if you will, of the four horsemen that the theologians have called the four horsemen of the apocalypse brings a sword. It says that he's given power to remove peace from the earth. So the first rider comes and brings peace, and then the next rider comes and robs them of peace. All of this, you have to remember, Jesus is still in control. Jesus never lets go of the throne. He's on the throne. And everything that happens is pushing the world closer and closer to the glorification of Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom. You look at Matthew chapter 4, 
verses 5 through 8. I'm going to read them really quickly because this is a picture. This is all happening at the same time. Matthew 24, I believe, uh, Jesus talking, Sermon on the Mount, talking about, um, actually this is the Mount of Olives. He's talking about the second coming, not the rapture, the second coming. So he's talking about judgment and all of that that's taking place. He says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. There's more to come. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. He's talking about that red rider on that horse. He's bringing out a time that is going to be war on a level that is the world has never seen. You do not want to be on the earth when this takes place. You don't want to be here. Nations going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. That's the beginning of the end of the world. That's the beginning of the end of the age. Now, a lot of people read that today and they think we're seeing that stuff right now. I promise you that stuff that Jesus is talking about is going to hit the world and you do not want to be here whenever it happens. Every time we see an earthquake, it's not necessarily talking about the earthquakes that they're going to experience. I promise the things that the world is going to experience, we do not want to be a part of. So what happens next, Jesus opens up a third seal. Verse number five. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Peace came on the earth, and then war hit the world out of nowhere. And devastation is wreaked all across planet earth. Every nation, every tribe of people warring and fighting against each other. What do you think the natural result of all of that is going to be? Famine. Famine. What happened in 2020 when uh, people got scared of the virus taking over the world and then the riots and that kind of stuff? All of a sudden you go to Walmart, you can't find toilet paper. All of a sudden you go to Walmart, you can't find meat, you can't find things that you need. I'm talking that kind of thing on a scale never before seen in the history of the world. Famine breaks out everywhere mass starvation. There's going to be food rationing in that day. That's going to be normal. That's going to be the the thing that's happening. But the problem is there's never going to be enough to eat. Check this out. So he says that he's got a measure in his hand, the, the rider of the black horse, and the Lord speaks to him, a voice in the midst of the four. So the four are circling around the throne. So it's the Lord that's speaking here. And he says, A measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So what happens here? They will be able to buy a quart of wheat for a full day's wages. 
a quart of wheat. One person can't even survive off of that. They would be able to buy barley, which in my study, there's a, there's a complicated area here, but essentially this is food that's barely worth feeding to your animals, to your livestock. And it's going to cost you a whole day's wages just to buy enough for three people in your family of that, in that day. And we know this because of the prices based off of the price written here. And historians can look back at Rome during the time that this was written and find out what the price is. This is over 15 times price hike that's happened. So imagine the prices of ordinary food being 15 times higher than what it is right now, but your wages aren't going up. Your wages are actually crashing because inflation and the uh, the dollar is going to be worth nothing at this time. So you can work all day and not even be able to feed your family. Starvation, not enough food that's taking place because the wars that are happening are destroying land everywhere. All of this is happening with the third rider. This kind of hunger that's going to take over. I thought this, I found this passage and I thought that this Charles Dickens sums it up really well in this passage of his novel from A Tale of Two Cities. He says, one of the great lords of the land, and he's, he's writing about the French Revolution at the time and during the revolution, poverty and hunger took over uh, the city there. He says this, he says, one of the great lords of the land must have his chocolate served up by four strong men beside the cook. One lackey carried the chocolate pot into the sacred presence. A second, Miles, uh, mills and froth the chocolate. A third presented the favored napkin. A fourth poured the chocolate out. Sir must have the luxuries of life and have them in magnificent style. So he's talking about the wealthy people of the time. And then he says this, he says, But hunger stalked the streets and slums of the poor. Cold, dirt, sickness, ignorance, and want were the lords in waiting in the streets and slums. Nobles of great power, all of them, but most especially the last. Hunger was prevalent everywhere. It was pushed out of the tall houses and the wretched clothing that hung upon poles and lines. Hunger stared down from the smokeless chimneys and started up from the filthy street. Hunger was the inscription on the baker's shelves, written in every small loaf of his scanty stock of bad bread, at every sausage shop, in every dead dog preparation that was offered for sale. That is grinding poverty. That is unimaginable, unfathomable hunger and poverty that is coming to the world very soon. The world is not prepared for this. We don't want to be here when this is happening. And then the Lord, after all of this, He opens up the fourth seal. The fourth seal. Verse 7. And when He had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. 
So here we are. The church gets raptured away. A false peace is followed by great violence. Violence the world like the world has never seen. And that's followed by mass famine and starvation. And all of that leads to this next horseman, the fourth seal, riding on a pale horse. That word pale, actually it's kind of like a puke green or a yellow. It's a very stale kind of pale and it represents death. So death comes and it only makes sense, right? All of that stuff is breaking out on the earth. People are starving. People are dying. And so death breaks forth forth upon the earth and he's followed by hell. That word hell, it's Hades. It's, it's the grave. So this writer literally is causing mass deaths. And the, the, the picture that we're seeing is death striking people. And then right behind death comes the grave burying the dead. That's the picture of this end time. You ask, so it says that there's, that he has power over a fourth part of the earth. That means that literally a fourth of everyone on the earth at that time is going to die because of this writer. What are those numbers? We've got seven billion people in the world right now. That means that two billion are going to be gone. At least two and a half billion. Somewhere around there. Dead. Can you imagine? Two and a half billion people. Starvation, war, poverty, whatever the reason being. Because of this last rider, two and a half million people die. Death comes and he's using four tools it mentions. The sword, famine, pestilence. That idea of pestilence is, is it could be man-made diseases. It's, it's a form of disease. It could also um, be signifying, uh, I guess you would call it man-made kind of, did I just say that man-made kind of diseases? They say in, in the Civil War, nearly as many uh, men died from diseases than died from uh, the actual battles and fighting. Diseases that rack the camp. So pestilence. And then, interestingly enough, the fourth tool that death is going to use, the Bible says, is wild beasts. Wild beasts. Going to ravage the land. And I was reading and studying that, and there's a lot of people that have a lot of opinions, but I, I think that um, it's very possible, and I'm just being honest with you, because anyone who just throws out there, they know exactly what that means. They're just not telling you the truth. It says wild beast, but there are a lot of things that could encompass that. But interestingly enough, it's hard to imagine a time when wild beasts are so prevalent on the earth, because when you think of wild beasts, I'm sure you're thinking of big game animals, bears, lions, that kind of thing. I'm not sure that it's talking about that. It, it could very well be. I, I think this is possible. In uh, Europe, um, they had the Black Plague, and it wiped out a major portion of the population um, in history. And that Black Plague was spread by rats. It could be you've got pestilences, 
racking the land. Obviously, wars taking over, so cleanliness is not a big deal. It could very well be the type of wild beast that um, if you've ever had a, a rat problem or a mouse problem in your house, you know how quickly they spread and they gather and you just got tons of them. You got a problem. That's why they call it a problem. Got a mouse problem because there's a whole lot of them there. It's not just one or two. We've got a problem. It's possible that at this time that there's so many loose rats carrying diseases that that's what's spreading the disease everywhere and just wiping people out. It's a, um, it's not a positive time. And it's hard as I studied and prepared this lesson, and I knew this was going to happen as we talk about the book of Revelation because there are so many parts in here that it's, it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel because the world is just falling apart. And next week, we're going to cover three more seals because what I just covered tonight is four seals, four judgments. Three more are coming. And then not only that, but there's two more rounds of judgments that come in the book of Revelation. You do not want to be left behind. There are smart alecks that say, you know, I'll, I'll take my time and when I get left behind, then I'll, I'll get right. I can handle it. I'm a survivor. I can handle it. You know, I've trained for it. I'm stockpiling. I'm doing this. I can live off the land. I'm prepared for it to be left behind. I call them smart alecks because that's what they are. You do not want to be a part of this world. The world has never seen anything like this. You cannot point to anybody in history or anybody today and say that's a survivor and they could have made it in that day. I'm telling you, it'll be a hundred times worse than anything you can imagine. And I don't want to be on this earth whenever it happens. If you want to stand, again, a lesson like this, and there's going to be more lessons like this, it's extremely sobering. And here's the truth. As you study the book of Revelation, this is what you've got to understand. The truth is that we serve a God of justice, as well as of mercy. We serve a God of judgment as well as grace, as holiness as well as love. That's the truth. And this is why people want to avoid, so many people avoid the book of Revelation. Because we are raised with this idea of Jesus being this soft um, pushover. That's Jesus, right? He's not really a manly man. He's just this guy you can push over, just loves everybody, lovey-dovey, that kind of stuff. And then they open up the book of Revelation. And all of a sudden, we've got four horsemen of the apocalypse. We've got vials of judgment being poured out. We've got bowls of judgment that's getting ready to be poured out. Judgment after judgment, one thing after another. And it's not man. And it's not the devil. This is Jesus. This is Jesus pouring out judgment upon the world. It's the God that we serve. And they can point at him and they can say, well, he's not a good God then. He's, he's a bad God. Why would, how can a good God do that? Well, what we've got to do is we've got to remember all of the evil that this world, laughing and mocking at God, and the evil things that is being pushed in our world and in our generation, what's happening in Afghanistan right now is a tragedy 
It's awful. It's horrible. And the sad thing is, is, is the Taliban, this is not new. They've been doing this. Read a book. Read a book by, written by one of the men, the soldiers that have been over there fighting these guys for over 20 years, 30 years. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a unique kind of evil. And God could not be just. They say, well, God can't be loving and pour out judgment. I say God cannot be just and not pour out judgment. God cannot be just and holy and do nothing. He has to do something. And the the thing is, is if you love him and you're faithful and you serve him, you don't have to worry about any of this. You're going to be with him. He's calling you out of this world. It's the ones that hate him and mock him and mock Christianity and hate our God and hate our standards and hate the word of God and hate holiness. They're the ones who have got to worry because there's coming a day when God is going to pour out his judgment upon the earth and the world will never be the same. But at the end of the book, we know that he wins and he stays on the throne and God is going to be glorified. We have to remember as we're studying this, not to get down because we, this is not for the church. This is for the world. This is for the world. The church is going to be with the Lord. And we've got to remember that Jesus is in control and ultimately everything is moving towards him being glorified. I know this is more of a sobering lesson this was not one of the lessons that have us bouncing off the walls it has us strong in our faith it's just one of those lessons that kind of sobers us and makes us realize that that history is moving somewhere that we're going somewhere that this stuff is going to happen i wonder if we could take tonight find a place to pray for the next couple of minutes and i wonder if we could and we're going to do this a lot through the book of revelation But let's just recommit ourselves every week on 